Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us today. And today we are finishing up our series on the Advents of Christmas. So today we're talking about the fourth Advent, and that is love. You know, 1 John 4.12 tells us that if we love one another, God abides in us. And so one of the ways that you know if God's love abides in you, you love other people. So let me ask you a question. Is there somebody that you don't love? That will hinder your ability to love God. John takes this subject even further in verse number 20 of 1 John 4. He says, but if somebody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So today, as we look at this subject of Christmas love, I want you to know that in our generation, love is defined as a feeling. But biblically speaking, love is a decision. According to the Bible, John tells us that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, because God abides in him. You see, human love is much different than divine love, but if you really want to love other people like God loves other people, you must be a recipient of this divine love. I was reading an article not too long ago by a scholar, a Yale scholar named Simon May, and he calls human love our new God. In his chapter, Love Plays God, he writes, human love is now tasked with achieving what once only divine love was thought capable of, to be our ultimate source of meaning and happiness. He contends that we've changed the biblical statement, God is love, to love is God, small letter G. And now here are some core beliefs of this new, quote-unquote, religion of love. Human love is the universal form of salvation that is available to all of us. Here's a second tenet of this religion of love. We don't need long and disciplined training to learn how to love because most of us can love spontaneous without any kind of effort. In other words, just let it happen. Number three, human love is always benevolent, harmonious. It brings a haven of peace. Here's the fourth tenet. Human love transports us beyond the messy imperfections of the everyday world into a superior state of purity and perfection. And then lastly, he says that human love delivers us from all of life's losses and sufferings. He concludes by saying, these sorts of ideas kind of saturate popular culture to its immense cost. Human love has usurped a role that only God's love used to play. Maybe that's why the divorce rate is so high. We're expecting somebody to love us the way that God loves us, and that's impossible. Now, we should strive to love others as God loves us, but we're going to be greatly disappointed if we think that somebody else can love us the way that God loves us. Now, as people join my church, they go through a class that we call Starting Point. We always have pizza with the pastor. I spend a couple hours with them. And one of the things I tell them is this, is that if you are trusting me never to disappoint you, I want to begin by telling you, I will disappoint you. Not that I'm going to intentionally disappoint you, but I can't be God for you. Now, I'm striving to be Christ-like. I'm striving to be all that God wants me to do. I'm doing the best I can to love you as Christ loves you. 
but it's impossible for me to live up to that level. I'd have to be perfect. And I said, you know what? Not only will I disappoint you, but you're going to disappoint me. Uh, As you join my church, uh, I'm going to be disappointed from time to time with you. Can I tell you something else? Sometimes my wife disappoints me. Sometimes I disappoint her. But we still strive to love each other, realizing that God's love for us is unconditional, and we're striving to have unconditional love for one another, but we will fall short. So as you look at this whole subject, the Christmas advent of love, we learn that if we love one another, God's love abides in us. If somebody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen... How can he love God whom he has not seen? So let's look at today and and tomorrow to broadcast five ways that we can strive to love like God loves us. But before we go too far into the subject, I want you to know that some things are only possible through much prayer. Aaron McManus wrote a book called An Unstoppable Force. In this particular book, he writes the story of how prayers resulted in what only he could consider a miraculous recreation. While he was pastoring in South Dallas, he had a small congregation, and the church began to grow. And and as a result of this growth, they were starting to look for a place to build a church building. The leadership spotted an acre of land for sale, and it was a beautiful downtown Dallas location. Now, it seemed very strange that in the middle of downtown Dallas that there was this property that was available. Well, they were excited for their good fortune, and this small group of people, many of whom were on welfare, just started to pray. They prayed that that site would soon be theirs. Well, eventually, they were able to purchase that property. They received some financial help from some other churches, and they were able to buy this beautiful piece of property. Well, as the congregation began the process of getting building permits, they discovered that this property was declared unbuildable. That's right. That one acre of land in this prime location was nothing more than a landfill. McMangus grieved over the waste of precious time and money. He writes, We had bought an acre of garbage. Several core samples were taken. From what I understood, they all went down at least 25 feet deep, and they found nothing but trash. All I could do was ask our congregation to pray with me and to believe that God was with us and that he would even use the worst of human mistakes to perform a great miracle. Well, after months of prayer, a woman from the congregation told Pastor McManus that since they had asked God to turn that land into something useful, surely it had been taken care of. Feeling God was confirming what this woman was praying, Pastor McMangus asked for more core samples to be taken. This time, the researchers found soil. McMangus writes, now how did this happen? Was it because the core samples was in a different part of the land? Or could it be that God had actually performed a miracle and actually changed that landfill into good land? What I do know, he said, is that the same realtor who sold us that property came back and offered three times the amount that they had purchased that property for. What I do know, he says, is that previous owners could not build on that property, but we could. What I do know is that we 
had this property that was totally worthless, totally unusable, and God turned it into something very usable. What I cannot tell you is what happened beneath the ground at that location at 2815 South Herve Street. All I can tell you is what I know, and that is that God took this failure and he performed a miracle. Well, today, that one-acre lot in downtown Dallas, Texas, is not a, only a sanctuary, but it's also home to Cornerstone Crossroads Academy, founded in 2006 by Jim and Jane Beckett. Now, the Becketts were inspired to begin a school after they volunteered with Hope Literacy in the city's juvenile justice system. They're taking young people, kids that are at risk of not finishing high school, and they're giving them an education. They're putting their support behind these kids. These kids had, many of them, given up of their dream of graduating from high school, and now they're able to finish up high school, all because of the effort of a piece of property that was once deemed worthless, now is being used for the glory of God. You see, prayer changes things. I believe so much in the power of prayer that I spend about an hour a day praying, just going through various prayer lists that I have, praying for people in our congregation, praying for my family, because I believe that prayer changes. I could use this whole broadcast sharing with you example after example after example how God just sends the right people into your life at the right time as you pray. I remember when we were starting our church, I said, Lord, we need somebody who will work with our youth. Well, God sent a guy by the name of Bruce. And then I began praying, well, God, we need somebody to help us with our worship team. And God sent us a guy by the name of Jay. And then I needed some money to buy some property. And God sent us a guy by the name of Jack. And then we needed some more money to build a building. And then God sent us a whole series of people that gave sacrificially. I want you to know, prayer changes things. If you want great power in your life, you got to be a person of prayer. And I'm not talking these now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. I'm talking about fervently praying to God. You know, somebody put it like this in life, if you want to be successful, you got to pray as if everything depends upon God and work as if everything depends on me. That is the secret right there. That is the secret sauce to success hard work and praying diligently. Well, as we think about this subject of prayer, there are five characteristics that we're going to look at today of the love of Jesus. And it's found in John 3, 16. You say, oh, I know that verse. Oh, I think we all know that verse. But the great thing about the Bible, the more you dig in, the more you learn, is revelations are always new. And so here is the first lesson that we learn from John three sixteen: God so loved the world. We learn, first of all, that God's love is unstoppable and it's unconditional. It doesn't say that God loved the world. It says that God so loved the world. God's love, it can be denied, it can be rejected, but it can never be stopped. Do you know that God loves all of us, regardless of whether or not we receive and accept that love or not? It has nothing to do with God's love for us. It is not stopped because we reject it. It is not stopped because we put conditions on it. God loves us unconditionally. So when I say to somebody, I don't love you anymore, I'm doing to somebody something that God 
will never do to me. God will never say to anybody, I don't love you anymore. As a matter of fact, Paul said this, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation. I love how he adds that, right? Just in case I missed something on this list, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can restrict it. You know there's something else about God's love. His purposes, driven by his love, cannot be stopped. Revelation chapter 12 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God has appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. That's 1 John 3.8. As you look at that, I'm going to read Revelation 12 in just a minute. As you look at that verse, nothing can stop God from destroying the work of the devil. God is in control. His purposes will not be stopped. Revelation 12.4 is where we see that purpose being fulfilled. We see the scene is in heaven, and they're talking about the tail that swept down, took a third of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. That's talking about Satan, that dragon who was kicked out of heaven, and he comes to earth, and that dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. See, Satan was alive, and he's active, and he's alive now, but one day he will be judged. One day he will be destroyed. One day he will spend eternity in a lake of fire that burns forever and ever, and so he is trying to thwart God's unconditional love. He is trying to stop God's purposes. And so what does he do? He shows up on the birth of Jesus and attempts to devour it. And how does he do that? Through that wicked King Herod. I remember Herod was so jealous, and he says, I am ordering all male children, two years old and younger, to be killed. Herod wanted to destroy Christ. He wanted to destroy that Christ child, and he was used of the devil, but he failed. You know, I want you to know something. The purpose that God has for you is unstoppable until that purpose is fulfilled. You see, Jesus offered his life. It wasn't taken from him. He willingly offered himself as a sacrifice. You know, we love John 3.16, God so loved. But there's another good 3.16 verse that I would encourage you to memorize. First John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Okay, how do we know what love is? Here's the definition. Jesus Christ laid his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's how we know somebody really loves us. Are you willing to die for somebody? You know, as I think about that, I think that I'm willing to die for my wife. So maybe a more penetrating question would not be, am I willing to die for my wife, but am I willing to live for my wife? Am I willing to do the dishes? Am I willing to help her so that she can get everything done that she needs done? Am I willing to support her? You know, I tell people all the time, I said, you know what? If you have a problem with my wife, you have a problem with me. And if you have a problem with me, you have a problem with my wife. We are two that have become one. We are joined together. And so God's love for us and his purpose for us cannot be stopped. 
Now, there's something about unconditional love. Can you imagine what life would be like if you had somebody who says, you know what, I'm going to love you unconditionally. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to stop loving you. Now, I know technically on a human level, that is a far reach, right? But Jesus, when he offered up his life, gave us an example of unconditional love. You know, I think about the gift that Christ has given to us and that gift of life and how we should be passing that gift of life on. You know, in Portland, Oregon, there's a homeless gathering under a bridge. It's called the Burnside Bridge. And so for over three years, there's been a carload of Christians that go to Burnside Bridge, and they bring a group on Friday nights, and they minister to these needy men and women who are living under this bridge. So in addition to bringing hot meals, and and they do haircuts, and they do shaving, and, and all that kind of stuff, the volunteers actually wash the feet of these homeless people. And as you look at this, it's stunning, right? One writer for USA Today was stunned by this display of love, and he called it one of the most audacious acts of compassion and humility that he has ever witnessed. You see, this group of society's outcasts had their bare feet immersed in warm water, scrubbed and dried and powdered and and placed in clean socks. One man reported with a smile, I can't find the words to describe how good that felt. This USA Today writer commented on the significance of this foot washing. Washing someone's feet is an act best performed while kneeling. Given the washer's position and the unpleasant appearance and the odor of a homeless person's foot, it's hard to imagine an act that would be more humbling. You see, in preparation for their outreach, the leader of this ministry offered these words. When you go out there tonight, I want you to look for Jesus. You might not see him in the eyes of a drunk, a homeless person. We're just out there to love on people. Loving on people. Loving people unconditionally as we have received unconditional love from God. You see, so many times we base our love for others based on how they treat us. You know, somebody gave me one time really an amazing definition of character. A person's character is determined by how they treat somebody that they do not need. How do you love somebody who can't or won't love you back? How do you love somebody that doesn't care about you? You love that person unconditionally. That is an earmark of your character. So we've learned so far that the love that Christ has given to us is unstoppable and it's unconditional. God so loved the world. But we learned, secondly, that this love is also a love that is very expensive and is very valuable. It says that he gave his one and only son. Some translation says his only begotten son, which means his one and only son. First Timothy 2, Paul reminds young Timothy that God gave Jesus his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Now, as you think about expensive things, you know, in my desk is a Rolex watch. Now, many years ago, uh, somebody gave me a Rolex watch, and 
and I don't wear it because the band is is missing a piece, and and uh, and I kind of feel funny wearing it anyway because it's so expensive. Well, you know, a Rolex watch will always be expensive, but it might not always be valuable. When I think about God's love for us, it is not only expensive, it's very valuable. Think about a Rolex watch. If you are down to your last dollar and your last meal, I promise you that you'd be willing to surrender that watch, that Rolex watch, at a greatly reduced price if you could provide food for your family with it. Why? Because all of a sudden, this very expensive watch, the value has been decreased because something else is more valuable. You see, what is truly worth will depend on whether or not you own a watch or whether or not you need a watch or whether or not you need to purchase something more important at that time than that watch. You see, the value of something is always based on what somebody's willing to pay for it. I want you to know that if you're willing to pay uh, $1 million for my house, I'll sell it to you today, right? My house is not worth anything near a $1 million, right? But if you're willing to pay that much, I'll go ahead and sell it to you, right? It's the value is not that high, but if you're willing to pay for it, then you go for it, and uh, and I I go ahead and sell it to you, and then I buy two houses. How about that? Okay. So when you think about expense, expensiveness is based on cost, which is an objective measurement. Whether or not something is valuable, however, is a subjective matter. That's why things that are really valuable to you, you can't put a price tag on it. You think about things like your family pictures, right? Or your family heirlooms or something or gifts that people have given to you. What makes them valuable is the person that has given them to you. Well, God's love for us is valuable and expensive. His death and his resurrection was so valuable, so expensive, but yet it could not be stopped. In Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11, it says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on an altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Here we see Moses writing in the book of Leviticus, and he's alluding to the atonement of Christ, the coming of the Messiah that he would make atonement for the souls of sins. And so Moses incorporates the animal sacrifice system as a reminder or as a symbol of the coming of the Messiah. Listen, when that blood was placed upon the altar, when that flesh was on the altar, it could not provide atonement for life, but it was symbolic of what Jesus was going to do to us. We who are enemies of God, we're going to become friends of God, all because God sent his one and only son on our behalf, and he sent him to purchase our freedom. You know, we love freedom, right? But I'm fearful that we totally have misdefined what freedom is. In our country today, we used to understand that freedom, liberty, was this ability to be freed up from something so that you could do something right. Now we look at freedom as as this ability to do anything that we want with no repercussions, with no consequences. 
I'm sorry, but that kind of freedom does not exist. That is actually enslavement. When the Lord sets you free, you are free indeed. So I want to encourage you to join me tomorrow as we have part two, and we look at the five characteristics of God's love for us. Today, we've looked at the fact that His love is unstoppable, it's unconditional. We looked at the fact that His love is expensive and valuable. You can't even put a price on it. And so I want you to know that the Lord loves you unconditionally. And as you're listening to this broadcast today, maybe you have never been a recipient of God's unconditional love. Maybe you've never received that free gift of salvation. You know, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why don't you call on his name right now? Say, Lord, I need your love unconditional. I need your your sacrifice, the gift that you have given through your one and only son. And today I accept that free gift of salvation. Please come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And the Bible says you will be saved. Now, if I can pray for you, just shoot me a text, 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.